0: Hello, my name is David James Young. You might know me as one of the four voices you're about to hear for the next hour or so on Hottest 100s and Thousands. But today, I'm coming to you as a friend. We're friends, right? It doesn't matter if you've been listening for a couple of episodes or a couple of seasons. If you are engaging with Hottest 100s and Thousands, then you have a friend in me. That's why I'm coming to you as a friend to ask Do you dig this? Do you like what we're doing? Because if so, there is one very, very simple way that you can help us out. And that is by telling people about what we're doing over here. We love doing this show and we would absolutely love it if you could share that with anyone you think even might be remotely interested. Tag us on your socials. Mention us in any conversation where podcasts come up. It would be so, so massively appreciated. Thank you again so much for your ongoing support. As I always say, we love you and we appreciate you. And now it's time for another episode of The Great
1: Podcast.
0: our hottest 100s and 1000s and we have taken control of your radio station this is the podcast
2: uh, hold on a sec there david you motherfucker this is often the podcast where we talk about whatever you were gonna say in that um <laughs> but <laughs> this this week a radical surprise if you've never <gasps> listened to the
3: previous seasons of the podcast <laughs> this is the fucking remix episode baby was a very special uh interruption that you had there long distance interrupting him interrupting yeah. DJ in his own home that's that's special. he wow. ran
0: down to my house and was we going just like stop everything and that scene in the graduate where he's like pounding on the doors of the church
3: yeah, yeah. except he's holding up a, a, a copy of his remix album like he's just yeah. banging banging that on the door yeah. <laughs> mr Deej, mr Deej.
2: i haven't seen the graduate so some of that's lost on me but bro
3: the graduate's awesome uh, it's all right i think it's a really great film nathan you don't think it's a great film
1: I think it's it's a perfectly fine film. I, I I don't know. I think it's overhyped.
3: You heard it
2: first here, folks. Nathan is anti-graduate, so if you have uh, <laughs> finished finished from a tertiary education thing, Nathan will fight you if you see him.
1: I just think until education is truly accessible to everyone, <laughs> it's just kind of a bit of a superfluous thing that doesn't really mean anything, you know. Mm.
2: Yeah.
3: Damn, just, son.
2: Got to keep working on my PhD after this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, Nathan. Um, then right. Nathan's going to be knocking on your door. door like, yeah, yeah. It'll be interrupting <laughs> you just, long distance. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, this is the uh, penultimate episode of this season of Boris 100s and 1000s. As eagle eagerly listeners will know, this is the episode in which we take a little something for ourselves and we talk about the songs that we would have voted in if we knew how to read and write in the year 2000. These are the songs we would have voted in. And really? We're gonna re- these, we're are, gonna- these are
3: the songs that we would have voted in?
1: Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I definitely Um. (laughs) didn't know my song as a (laughs) (laughs) 12-year-old
2: Yeah, so this is a bit of a looser we We're going to talk about these songs We're going to read some of your letters We're going to talk about other songs from the year That we could have potentially voted for This is is a treat for us But more importantly, it's a treat for you And when it comes to treats for you listeners There's nobody I think of quicker than Mr. Adam Buncher Comrade, what did you fucking vote for?
3: Okay, so from the year 2000 From the album White Pony This is Digital Bath by Deftones
0: Yo, honey, let's do
3: it. <laughs> Dead tones, wipe
2: Digital Bath by the Deftones from their seminal record, White Pony. Adam, talk us through this fucking classic.
3: Yeah, so Deftones, right? American Rock bands. Well, yeah, American Rock Band formed in Sacramento by a bunch of kids who loved to skate uh, while they were in high school. They had a background in both metal and hardcore punk, fronted by a dude called Chino Marino. One of the reasons why I love the remix episode is because it actually allows me to do uh, a bit of a deep dive on something that I probably haven't before, but, like, I'm very interested to.
1: But you want to.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> and you find out fun facts like Chino is of Mexican and Chinese descent. And Chino is actually a nickname uh, given to him because it's shortened from Chinito, which is Spanish for little Chinese one, because apparently he looked more Chinese than he did Latino. and the And the Latino community around him kind of bestowed that moniker upon him. Look, i got to say, huh. that, that's pretty fucking cool. That's pretty cool. And I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Um, and Chino Marino is fun to say. It's very fun oh, to say. Yes, it is. Chino it was, Marino. It a, it's a, it's a, a good name. name. So Digital Bath comes off their third album, as mentioned, White Pony. Um, previously, you had Adrenaline and Around the Fur and were decidedly a lot more heavy. And this is kind of an interesting thing and one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk about Deftones because we talked a lot about new metal. We've talked about Limp Bizkit. We've talked yeah. about Slipknot, and we talked about Quorn. We talked about Quorn. Oh my God! Has, have, we, have we already made that joke that it would be amazing to do like I don't know a corn a corn cover band called Quorn, the Q U. <laughs> That'd be very. Good. That'd be very like. <laughs>
1: it's, that's, it's good as well that you said amazing. I feel like extra layers,
3: yeah, because of oh,
2: maize. maze. Yeah,
3: because maze is awesome. So they they are often thrown in with the new metal crowd simply because they came up in that time, but they are distinctly apart from it. And what I didn't realize at the time is that that was entirely intentional. And in fact, they went to a lot of effort to distance themselves from it. They re- completely rejected the new metal label, despite the fact that their sound had so many crossovers. They were invited to tour with Korn and Limp Bizkit numerous times. And every time they turned it down to the point where Korn like seriously hit them up being like, why do you hate us? But (laughs) there are so many quotes that Chino has where he says like stuff like the name of the genre was new metal. So anything that is one day that is going to be old and I didn't want to be old with it. We told motherfuckers not to lump us in with new metal because when those bands go down, we aren't going to be with them that's fucking fair man and cool but they've always been very interesting in terms of what they're playing within genres especially in white pony uh they came in with this album and there was a few changes to their lineup they got in a keyboardist and a turntablist and chino also decided to pick up the guitar and they got into the studio to write this one and they took a really long time like uh, they spent months and months and months in the studio uh the apocryphal explanation for why that could have been is great being um That They were playing a lot of Tony Hawk Pro Skater instead of actually making the album, (laughs) which I'm sure we can all relate to. But what comes out is this album that is playing with like shoegaze and dream pop and mixing that with with kind of these new metal kind of influences or these hardcore punk kind of influences Um, and really creating something that to me is a very sonically unique album. Um, and something that kind of captured my attention the second that I heard it. Because I kind of made a concerted effort to get into Deaf Tones. Because they're mm. they're monolithic, right? Like before I ever heard White Pony, I saw so many people with the White Pony tattoo.
2: Yeah, I've seen so many white yeah, tattoos same. as well, man.
3: Nothing quite sounds like it. And taking this song as an example, yeah. like you can really hear the room in it. There's so much kind of ambience in the space. And to me, the album and this song is so evocative of just like a really urban landscape. Like I just get these stark kind of like stained concrete images and like metal rails and fluorescent lights that blink on and off. The album itself has been described, and this is possibly another reason why it took so long to be made, as a cocaine concept album, which is where it gets its name, White Pony. <laughs> The band were, like, really off the rails at this point. And it comes across if you read some of the interviews at the time. Or um, on them,
0: depending on who you ask.
3: I was about to say that, David. Fuck, fuck, fuck,
0: fuck. <laughs> hey!
3: And, I, I, and like, I, I think in the in the context of the album, there are definitely a lot of those completely out of your head or coming down kind of feelings. It's, it's a very violent and a very erotic album at the same time. And... Listening back to some of the material this time around was the first time I connected it to another album which I think plays with a lot of the similar things and that's House of Balloons, the first mixtape by The Mm. Weeknd, which is another album I really love. But I really think that they are thematically paired, um, which may seem really weird because one's like R&B and one's like distinctly not new metal, never new metal, don't call it new metal. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, What I love about that kind of idea of it being a cocaine concept album is not only... uh, like what, what comes out in the writing of it, but like kind of on a meta level, the fact that they did write those kinds of things like this, this song was described by Chino in an interview as like something that he wrote when it was 5am and he was partying. And he just had this idea of like electrocuting a girl with an appliance in a bath, which is fucked up. And it's like kind of really not okay. And it made me kind of go like, Oh Jesus. Like, but like, if you were off your head on Coke, that's kind of the thing that you would write and not question, and that's why I think like the the album kind of has some of its brilliance as well because it really was this kind of lack of restraint exploration, and just like diving deep into this into this sonic landscape, and managing to come up with a yeah. classic. And so this song I think endures for me because it never quite does what you expect it to do. You think you've got it, and then it kind of eludes you, and it does that in, in its kind of melodies and in the kind of sounds that kind of come out. And yet it just still has like such a punch to it. When Chino hits that high part in the chorus, when he really hits that note, I remember the first time I heard that, I was absolutely blown away and I still get a really strong reaction when I hear that.
2: White Pony in general, I miss this song in particular as well, it um does in a similar way what David Bowie did with Glam rock with Ziggy Stardust, like uh, the record and the Spiders from Mars, um, Bowie, I think he took the ideas of like glam rock, like your Mark Boland, T Rexy style glam rock, mm-hmm. and did it in a way that was the logical endpoint and conclusion to that genre, and in, in and in doing so went beyond that genre. And this s- record and this song feels like a similar kind of thing with new metal as an idea, right? Because like, new metal ostensibly, whilst it does, it has its tropes, mm-hmm. but ostensibly it's about taking I guess non-metal ideas and pushing them into a metal and hard rock context. And I think with this record, bringing in elements of of like dream pop, even kind of synth shit is going on in the background. Yeah, some trip definitely. hop stuff as well. Some yeah, some trip hop, sure. Yeah. Um, and, and definitely shoegaze, as you said, Adam. Mm. Um, all that kind of shit is channeled into this funnel that is the Deftone sound, that then encapsulates the. I guess, if there was a manifesto for new Metal, the goals of new Metal, but then pushes it beyond that to the point where it can't even be called that anymore in the same way that you wouldn't call Ziggy Stardust the record a glam rock record. The, all, I think all the different things here, as somebody who has like, made no kind of secret that heavy metal isn't really my shtick, mm. but... Um, I, I think the White Pony record is a terrific record. Well, this is
3: exactly the thing, right? Because, like, I think Deftones are so essential in the landscape of metal mm. because of the particular kind of accessibility and elusiveness that they bring to the approach to the genre. Like, the, mm. the joke is that Deftones are that one metal band that the indie kids like, but it's also mm. incredibly
2: yeah. true, right? Yeah, majorly, right? Yeah. Marino's higher-pitched, softer vocals here are really quite fucking beautiful, and, like, it's a very pretty song. The right? way he like, plays with
3: dynamics across the discography and body of work of Death tones is really incredible.
2: Yeah, he's a fascinating singer. Mm. And, but again, the whole band here are great. The fact that there is the incorporation of the, like the scratching and the electronics and the synth, but not in a way that's like – like in the way that like other new metal songs will be like all right now here's the scratch 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 section of the song mm. it's just like part of the the vehicle right yeah. it's like
1: they're taking the like the stylistic palette of the sounds and the textures but removing a lot of the cultural stuff that that comes with it like there's none of the cultural baggage that bands like limp biscuit and corn have in terms of the image that they're putting out and the kind of the class stuff that's so like inbuilt into their identity and how they kind of communicate themselves and it's like that stuff just isn't there, but it's still playing mm. with a lot of those textures.
3: And also, it's not um, in any way autobiographical or built inside feelings. It's again like showing, not telling. Chino describes deliberately trying to go away from anything that t- uh, spoke about an emotional state. Instead, just tr- started to write um, kind of stories or or um, or more abstract ideas for songs, like a little, moving a little bit more metaphorically that communicate the kind of feelings he wanted to get across. Again, that was a kind of a deliberate thing from them to not be part of new Metal.
0: To your point, I think that's part of why I've always kind of... Initially, I resented Deftones because they were a part of that scene, whether they liked it or not. And you know, the fact that they distanced themselves from it and the more pretentious kind of people were into them. Like, it, for me, as, you know, somebody who grew up on Slipknot and Drowning Cool and Power Man 5000, basically any anyone or anything that was on the Scorpion King soundtrack, as I've sure. well documented, the objectively the greatest soundtrack of all time, please add me, seeing Deftones kind of go against that and, like, present themselves as kind of being above it, like... It was a classic thing of me just being like, oh, well, fuck you. I kind of came to them a little bit later. I remember getting their album, their self-titled album from 2003. Uh, I got that from the library and I was just like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll see how we go from here and I'll give it a listen. And it's like, to me, that is still the best record they've ever done. I understand why people are so innately drawn to White Pony. And I've gone back and I've listened to White Pony since and I like it. But for me, it's a stepping stone to what the self titled record would be. Like, to me, songs like Minerva and Hexagram are like some of the best stuff that they've ever done. I could understand why people were drawn to them and why, you know, people that weren't invested in metal found a connection to their music. But yeah, there's just part of me that just was so put off by that whole, like, oh, they're the thinking band's new metal band. I get what fucking uh, Death Terms are going for, but at the same time, I've seen publications call them, like, the radio head of new metal. I'm just like, oh, God, are you fucking kidding me?
1: (laughs) I think it's interesting, like, and it's kind of... a. bigger conversation than than we should have but like genre is so often a thing that's out of the artist's hands like genres mm. are coined by music journalists who will group a bunch of artists that that may be around the same time and place or may not be and be like this is this and there's like you know thousands of examples of bands trying to throw off like the labels that get put on them or whatever it's really interesting to see a band i guess be quite successful at it
3: um well I think you know simply being asked to tour with those bands and saying no and instead choosing to align yourself with a with a whole different set of artists is a pretty effective way to do that at the time when everything yeah, was totally. built around those kinds of scenes you know
2: Also uh this this song like the album in general but this song incredibly horny <laughs> Yeah, also, oh, I'm not sure. You know this is this is another entry into soundtrack hours. Oh no yeah. Way. What was this in? This was played over the credits of the 2001 thriller Soul Survivors. Uh, huh. Soul like like S O U L starring Casey Affleck and Eliza Dushku. It is currently sitting at a comfortable Four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you said currently. <laughs> <laughs>
1: change. It's only been 19 years. It could still come back.
2: Before we wrap it up, Adam, what was this your definite pick for the year, or did you have other ones you're weighing up? No,
3: there was heaps. Like, I mean, there was a very particular Outcast track that was like very, very almost picked. Um, Bombs Over Baghdad. I was like so cl- close to picking. <laughs>
2: And speaking of uh, bombs over Baghdad, I'm going to read a letter from Phil. I'm not sure if that's pseudonymous or it stands I for. You were be
1: like, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right.
2: Phil? Right, Phil. There were some pleasantries about how wonderful, handsome, charming, and good at remembering things from the past we are that I'll ignore. <laughs> um, Fuck, we're good. But Phil says I thought about picking something else of Kid A, Optimistic, or The Moon and Antarctica by Modest Mouse. Oh, probably. Yeah. Probably gravity rides everything or tiny cities made of ashes. Adam. Yeah, amazing. Good call. Amazing. All right. Um, and obviously optimistic is a good call but as agreeing with you there Adam but the track that I think is the most conspicuously absent from the countdown says Phil and the one I'd vote for is Bob Bombs Over Baghdad by Outcast. love how huge and bombastic it is I think Big Boy's verse is one of the best rap verses of all time the guitar solo is epic and the choir is perfect fucking killer track yeah. and Phil then goes on to say that he was looking forward to seeing what we said because songs like Bachelorette and Is Chicago Is Not Chicago were new discoveries that are still on regular rotation so Phil
3: you're welcome i am really not worthy to have been the person to introduce someone to bachelorette by Bjork at all <laughs> no, <too laughs> but phil thank you very much for the
2: kind words you're a gentleman and a scholar uh and speaking of gentlemen and scholars david yeah you meant to say andrew so we could do the reverse of the thing whatever oh what fucking song <laughs> we pick?
0: you gotta tell me that shit dude
2: what song tell me
0: Who cares
2: (laughs) I'm so upset I'm turning this podcast around
0: The song I have chosen Is by another uh, Very very prominent New metal act uh, (laughs) Perhaps so prominent that uh, They also similarly refuse to ever be Categorised as such uh, Quoted on record as saying What the fuck are you talking about What's new metal Uh, So the group is All Saints And the song is Pure Shores
1: (laughs)
2: saints they're pure shores Deej talk us through these saints and these shores
0: so this is another song from the soundtrack to the Leo DiCaprio movie The Beach which I still haven't seen and probably will never see but also simultaneously do not need to see because I've heard All Saints Pure
3: Shores I think it's about a beach that's the vibe I get (laughs) (laughs) it's not a bad movie it's It's just about a beach right like not not really (laughs) (laughs) really
2: it's an alright
3: movie. Because this song like, is just about a beach.
2: Le- it's about <laughs> like Leo's like a disaffected American dude who like goes to a beach, goes to Thailand, and hears stories about like this hidden community of like this autonomous kind of anarchist collective who like live near like a massive marijuana plantation, like under the like away from any, anybody in society. And he goes there and hangs out with them, and shit happens that's bad. And like it's about like. It's kind of like there's some Lord of the Flies vibes, I guess, but for adults, like... Oh, okay. I think it was all right. It's Danny Boyle. He's a good director.
3: He goes okay. It's
2: written by Alex Garland, who did fucking... Oh, shit. I didn't al- realize
3: he wrote it. Oh, my God. He, he, he,
2: he wrote the book it was based on, at least. Holy anyway, shit. Deej, The Saints, The Shores.
0: <laughs> this is a track produced by William Orbit, who was a pretty big deal electronica producer around that time. And as much as I love All Saints, this is this is more or less his song. You have that atmosphere, those distant echoing synth bleeps, like that really faint but really nice reverby guitar, and the way that the beat kind of flows, and just the wash of vocals. All Saints were a British vocal group. Uh, had a couple of big hits in the late '90s and early two thousands. This was probably their biggest, apart from uh, their song Never Ever. They also did, like, a couple of really bizarre covers. They did this cover of Under the Bridge, which is really, really strange. (laughs) And also, legit, like, maybe, like, a couple of months or maybe even just under a year before the more famous version came out, they did a
1: cover of Lady Marmalade. Oh, that would have felt terrible. They do that, and then the other one comes out. I know,
0: right? I think when we talked about... What was the other song from the Beach soundtrack that we talked about? Was it Porcelain?
2: Yeah, it was Moby Porcelain.
0: Hearing that, I was just like, The Beach, why do I know that name? And then I was just like, oh, of course, it's the Pure Shores song. This is synonymous with that movie, but it has completely eclipsed the movie. You know, it's just like Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls was on the soundtrack for City of Angels, but no one fucking remembers City of Angels, you know
3: what I
0: mean? Another perfect example, All Star by Smash Mouth. That was originally for this, like, complete shithouse Family comedy superhero movie called I think they were called Mystery Man. It was a Ben Stiller
1: vehicle. Oh yeah, I remember that
2: movie. I sincerely fucking thought you were gonna say Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> Every fiber of my being knew you were gonna say Shrek and then you didn't.
1: <laughs> it's very very funny to think of Shrek Shrek as a superhero. Superhero.
2: Shrek's a superhero.
1: <laughs> I like superhero movies, you know, Spider-Man, Shrek, Superman 2. <laughs> Shrek's one of the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> That's Canon now. Uh,
0: Oh, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. (laughs) (laughs) I like that blend of this being super poppy, but could also totally work as something quote-unquote alternative and could have that Triple J crossover. I feel like if this was given a chance on Triple J, it totally could have taken off the same way that uh, those Kylie singles that we've talked about did.
3: Well it's funny you mention it being given a chance on Triple J because it recently was featured as part of their requestable.
2: Oh no shit. I didn't even see that. That's awesome.
3: It got a run. Yeah. Fuck yeah.
2: D just entirely spot on. It is entirely within the wheelhouse of potentially being a triple J fucking hit, right? Like it's a a gorgeously produced hooky chorus. Like there's a reason that this is seen as a classic song, even now. It's just a beautiful pop song. And it's a really cool
1: example of because of all those trip hop elements and everything, all these things that just a few years ago were kind of like the dominant sounds in alternative music, then filtering through producers to become dominant sounds in pop music. And it's just like that that kind of cycle happens, you know, again and again. That's just like kind of how the music industry works. But like this is such a clear example of that. Like, And yeah, like you said, the chorus is just amazing. This is just a great, great pop song. Apparently, Orbit also worked with Madonna a lot. Madonna was apparently very cranky that she didn't get this song.
3: I guess she should have mm-hmm. fucking written it. Then. Yeah, she no, should I have made so. the song. <laughs> the backing track was already ready is the thing. Um, yeah, yeah, right. exactly. The, because uh, they knew that they wanted to get Orbit in for this track. They knew that it was going to be a soundtrack thing. They brought in Shaznay and um, apparently the story that she tells about the writing of it is they sh- they showed her like a minute of the film. Um, then they were like, all right, go on, you can go and write it now. Um <laughs> And apparently it was just, all she saw was just some beach stuff. So that's why the song is literally just like <laughs> about being on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the- that's <laughs> all it that means
0: to be, me, I know, like, I know. It is so, like, perfect in the way that it romanticizes, like, a time and a place. And a beach. Literally, like- yeah, you are taken there the second that she starts singing and it's just the atmosphere is just perfect for this kind of song. Yeah,
2: the, the, yeah. the place it romanticizes is the, the beach, beach and the time it romanticizes is beach, beach time, time. <laughs> <laughs> love a bit of beach time.
3: And here's what I wonder when I listen to the song because when I listen to the song like and I, I was actually writing um, notes to it it's like oh the song has such a gentle movement to it it's kind of like a wave <laughs> it's like, the, the textures are really immersive like if you're floating in a damn like and i'm just thinking to myself like is it because i already know that it's called pure shores and it was written for a movie called the beach or is this just really good at conveying the beach in musical form and i don't know probably both
2: well like the the part of the film that this song is in is when leo and his two <laughs> is mates that the are rich Ar- arrive at the uh, at, when they arrive at the beach for the first time the titular beach the titular beach the star of the film and they're like all optimistic about the purity of this new life away from society the purity of so these like, shores the, the, ch- the purity of this yeah this is me summing up the moment of the beach when they arrive at the beach is Leo being like holy crap we're at the beach let's have some time at the beach let's stay at the beach and that's what this song is about
3: <laughs> Yeah. I know, but yeah. I, but I just I love that it reinforces something that we've kind of talked about before, where like Chaznei uh, has talked about it being a really easy compositional process in terms of like writing the lyrics and and the kind of components that she did because she's like, oh, I don't have to come up with what this is about. Like I've I've been given the stimulus, I've been given a brief. It's not like starting from scratch, which is seems to be the big bonus that songwriters kind of have when it comes to composing soundtrack songs which often yields amazing results and can sometimes lead to- to Godzilla kind of break- playing guitar. Or breakthroughs in their writing, right? You mentioned Godzilla, the- right? But like if Untitled hadn't been written by Silverchair, would Neon Ballroom have sounded the same? Because we mentioned yeah. the you know, if Radiohead hadn't been given fucking exit music for a film, how would OK Computer have sounded? This is kind of to connect it back to Deftones in a way as well. But like what happens when you stop worrying about your image, or what the band kind of is, and you just get back to the principal activity, which is writing a song. Limitations foster creativity, right? Absolutely. Like that's a, that's
2: like a, a thing, right? And that's obviously helpful here. I do want to bring up a thing that I read. Uh, I'm, I'm sure if you ever, if you watched the video hits in the years between 2000 and 2007, you probably saw this video. A few weeks ago, listeners will recall that I put myself on the shit list for fucking up some people who I thought were in a relationship and I can't even remember who. Alexis Bledeel <laughs> and Pete from Mad Men yeah. and somebody else. I fucked it up somehow. I fucked it up again now. Christina Ritchie, you forgot her Cri- name. Cri- Cri- She's Christina a Ritchie, dedicated listener. Vinda. Christina Ritchie, Vincent Carthas and Alexis Bledeel. I fucked up the nature of their polycule. Um, <laughs> and But now I'm going to in a way harsher way, put BBC America's Kevin Wicks on the shit list for his review of the music video for this song, calling it the most unflattering girl group video ever. Whose bright idea was it to light this video in night vision, making four very pretty girls look like hopelessly dazed raccoons? <laughs> pretty girls. Wow. Kevin, Ooh. you're on the shit list, mate. That's a
3: terrible review.
2: <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: That's a that's such a stinker. Actually, actually, can I can I extend the shit list to the entirety of the UK? <laughs> Please.
1: <laughs> there is something very British media about that review.
2: Oh yeah. Talking about girl groups and being pretty yeah. is so But also
3: yeah. motherfuckers don't even have raccoons, so sit down. Um yeah. you, saw, you saw it in a book.
1: About the zoo.
3: Yeah, and UK beaches, you suck. Oh, undoubtedly suckage. Yeah. Also I um, uh,
2: he, he he was from BBC America, so
3: Oh okay, <laughs> what? But America sucks too. Hang on, BBC America, what? Sure,
2: yeah, like like, like they like their US branch. Uh, and so they, all right. I'm I here to break down the intricacies of journalistic and, like but management some, structures. Someone from on the BBC cast?
3: America was reviewing a British song. I just okay.
1: It was a worldwide hit. We're reviewing a British song.
3: <laughs> no, but, but we're not from BBC Australia, and neither was he. <laughs> <laughs> okay but i'm gonna shit can all of the uk right i'm gonna do it um because this was the second biggest selling single of the year 2000 do you want to know what the biggest selling single in the uk in the year 2000 was
1: yeah i'm just gonna take a big sip of water first was it the
2: millennium prayer by cliff richard no it was my song that i'm doing next that <laughs> no, was my song that i'm doing after <laughs> Adam, what was it?
3: The biggest selling single of the year 2000 was "Can We Fix It" by Bob the Builder. <laughs> yes! Boo! Fuck
0: yeah! Fucking yes, Boo. son! That fucking
2: rules. Who who made Bob the Builder? Like, was that like a who the was British. Bob the Builder? Who made Builder's Bob, builder? Bob who, the Builder? This is this is like my philosophical thing. Who was Bob the Builder's builder? <laughs>
3: Fucking hell.
2: Anyway, what I was going to say, was there a song called Can We Brexit? Oh, by Bob the surely. Go
3: fuck yourself,
0: man. <laughs> no, we can't. It was created by a guy named Keith Chapman for the record.
3: Oh, my God. Hang on. I'm just going to Google Can We yeah, Brexit? we're all Googling it right now. I can't <laughs> see it. That sucks too much for it not to
1: exist. And yet. I don't know that it exists. I'm sure some sketch group
0: on YouTube has done it and it's uh, gotten like 2,000 views.
2: Ah, I can't seem to see it. And you know what sucks is that now we have to do it. <laughs> we don't. <It's, laughs> oh, man. He- we- heavy eh, Andrew, is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> we don't man. have to do this at all. He-
3: heavy is the Andrew. head that wears the yellow no, safety hat. Not, no. <laughs> no. For so many reasons, No. I want to I want to go back to just uh, William Orbit as well um, because as you mentioned he was the brains behind this song but uh, we have heard from him previously because oh yeah 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 music by Madonna got in as well as Beautiful Stranger he yeah. had a hand in both of those songs and also he produced a little album called Thirteen by Blur oh yes he did which we talked about um, Coffee and TV and Tender mm. great and song. Tender. Deej was this an easy pick for you or were
2: you weighing up between a few others what were you, What was your thought process
0: I, I tried not to overthink it because if you overthink it then you know you're just like oh well should I do this one but should I do this track from this album or should I I don't know pick a fucking movement or fucking something, something like that. that sounds like hammers <laughs> <laughs>
3: What are you trying to <laughs> say, Beach? It feels like you. Oh, I don't know. He's doing some excellent foreshadowing. I,
0: mm. <laughs> yeah. I might have listened ahead on this episode. Was it good? They've done better. They should bring back the Dungeons and Dragons episode.
2: Yeah, we actually should bring back. Uh, the Dungeons look, and look. The Dragons let's episode. not let's not remember the remix episodes that were more work than we are currently doing. The remix episodes. This is enough work. <laughs> <and> it's okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I did have. I end up making a list. Like eventually, like I, I, just did the classic. Like go through the Wikipedia page and. Like pick out all the songs, and like I'm glad that I just instinctively just went with the one because I ended up with a fucking massive list. So I had "Go Let It Out" by Oasis, "Leader of Men" by Nickelback, "Title Track" by Death Cab for Cutie, "If You're Gone" by Matchbox Twenty, "Pray to God" by Shellac, "Breathless" by The Cause, "Higher" by Creed, "Kids" by Robbie Williams and Kylie Minogue, "Dig" by Mudvayne, "Weekends" by The Black Eyed Peas, which was released as a single on my tenth birthday, October the third, two thousand uh mass romantic by the new pornographers and you know what just because we just talked about it i'm gonna throw in an honorable mention for can we fix it by bob the builder
2: you had me until honorable mention (laughs) Nathan, speaking of honorable mentions our listeners are honorable mentioners when they write into us like our dear friend here just has flawless yeah
1: Absolutely, this is, so this is a letter from uh, Villagers. he says, hi, Hottest Hundreds and Thousands Crew, I'm from the Netherlands and started listening to Triple J in 2016. I think maybe a year later I found this podcast, this is the first time I've written something in for the remix episode. I haven't attentively listened to every song in the 2000 countdown yet, but I would say that currently Naughty by Skulker is my favourite. Oh, a huge you, rock man. song with yeah. wonderful hooks, Good, good pick. I was happy you were all fairly positive about that song as well. <laughs> mm. uh, I was a one-year-old in 2000, so my music ah, college- Ah,
2: fuck. Ah, God damn yeah. it. Why did you read that part? Ah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to die soon.
1: You can audition for um, Hottest Hundreds and Thousands Juniors or whatever it was, but you have to
3: learn Spanish. No, no, the, the Spanish off's a different thing. We're franchising. Okay, okay. There'll be, There'll be one in every <laughs> continent for every language.
1: However, in regards to songs that didn't make the 2000 countdown, I want to shout out Too Young by Phoenix. Um, oh,
2: Villagers, mate. Let nice. me That was on my fucking shortlist. Terrific taste.
1: Other great songs from 2000 that weren't in the countdown include Idiotech by Radiohead. I think we can all agree there. Uh, Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast and Utopia by Goldfrapp. Oh, and I do hope that the curious case of Feel Good Hit of the Summer by Queens of the Stone Age is mentioned at some point. It was on the compilation CD of the 2000 Hottest 100, but not in the actual countdown. I don't think it's ever been revealed how that ended up happening. Love the pod and wish you well.
2: There's been a bit of discussion about that, man. People have mentioned that thing a few times, right? Like, I don't think we have a conclusive answer apart from oh God, maybe- I was just
1: going to say we're going to reveal the conclusive answer. <laughs> oh, do
2: we, a, do we have a live one?
1: No, but we can reveal it. We can know. make one up. We could lie. It doesn't matter now. Because the general, I thought, is that it was number 101, right? Yeah. And I think DK himself has kind of hinted that. Kingsmill, I mean, not Kingsmill. Not, not, not
2: not
1: <laughs> sorry. Not, yeah. Okay.
3: yeah. He's the leader of the bunch.
1: I'm on, I'm on DK basis with both of them, so it gets confusing. Yeah. Potentially it was like super,
2: super close as well, but who knows? All right. Now, look, I'm sorry. Whatever. Look, I know, I know, whatever. Look, 2000 was um, a, a year for me that had a bunch of records that I really, truly love, but uh, in terms of individual songs, it was a bit trickier for me. Some like Obviously, as has been mentioned, Radiohead's Idiotech, which I think is my favorite Radiohead song and a clear, clear victor for the tightest choice from the Kid A record. Also considering something from uh, The Cure's Bloodflowers, which I think is a very underrated record for late period Cure. Uh, The Dirty Threes, Whatever You Love You Are, came out that year. And I already did vote in a Dirty Three track a number of years ago. Peaches, Fuck the Pain Away, which Adam brought up in our uh, What Song Is It Anyway? segment. is an absolutely worthy entrance to be here. I was weighing up between those things and also the propaganda track, um, Today's Empires, Tomorrow's Ashes that i'll vote in propaganda in a few years time if we haven't reached the hottest juniors section yet but unfortunately fam i am subbing in my vote for godspeed you black emperors segment from sleep called broken windows locks of love part three Alright, that was Godspeed You, Black Emperors, Broken Windows, Locks of Love, Part 3, the segment, from their track, the segment from their track Sleep, from the album Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to Heaven. I know, look, don't please log off from the discord and the Twitter and start adding me about why this wouldn't have been in there. I know I do get that. And even though I know this isn't as a typical song to appear in the countdown, is this as weird as Matar being here? I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> whatever. But as I think we've reached a point where if we aren't using this platform that we have to tell you about the weird songs that we like once a year, then what the hell are we using it for?
0: At least pick a fucking song, though. <laughs> not a what? What was it? A quote movement? Well, like,
2: if Godspeed released singles, this would have been a single.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the hit,
2: is it? Yes, it is. It's the big hit. To like, put my cards on the table. Godspeed, you Black Emperor are one of the most important, not just bands, but artistic voices in my life my, all my other tattoos just abstract things or i have a tattoo of my two dogs but i have a tattoo of a godspeed you black emperor icon on my inner forearm that's how dear they are to me the record this is from in particular lift your skinny fists like antennas to heaven is one of my top four records of all time the record is comprised of uh, four roughly 20 minute long pieces of music each in multiple parts with segments that are the band who were at this point a nine piece and they had two guest musicians as well so there was 11 people playing these between kind of like three and 15 minute pieces of music and they're intercut with uh pieces of found audio and field recordings and uh like recitations of poetry and stuff like that it's a absolute journey of a record and this track sleep i I honestly could have picked any of the band parts from any of the movements as my vote in for this but i chose this one in particular because godspeed you black emperor as a band they're a canadian post-rock band they're kind of regarded as one of the biggest names of that loosely defined genre the band formed in 1994 i uh, released their first main like long playing record in 97 and then this was in 2000 and they've continued on with a hiatus in between and are still active today they are fiercely fiercely independent and fiercely, fiercely hardline left-wing politically aligned. All of their music comes with kind of manifesto pieces. When you buy the the vinyl editions, they have these little rants about the state of the world and so on, kind of thing. Hearing this record when I was getting into experimental rock was an absolute eye-opener. It changed the way I saw music, changed the way I saw composition, changed the way I saw art to a certain degree, and. I I love it so, so, so dearly to the point where I think that if we call Godspeed, You'd Like Emperor a band, then every other band that we call a band is getting off really fucking easy (laughs) (laughs) because these fucking nine weirdo Canadian experimentalists do things that are so fucking mind-expanding to me That is insane.
0: There's 10 of them if you include the guy that literally does
2: film projections. Mmm, so good.
0: They list the guys that, like, make films and project them onto the screen while they're performing as official members of the band.
2: And there are two of them as well.
1: Yeah, Mm. but thinking about the live show of Godspeed, like, that's such a fundamental part to how you experience the music. And that's, like, there's just as much craft in what they're doing as everyone else. I think it's actually really great that they're, they're sort of, like included in that. And I think that speaks to the band's kind of ethos as well.
2: Because the band are very much um, driven by an anarchist spirit where everything is divided equally in terms of profit kind of thing or money they make from the band. The, uh, the reason I bring up their politics is because so much of the imagery around God's Bed, You Black Emperor is gloom and doom and heaviness and depression. And there is a lot of that in a lot of their music for sure. But I think this particular movement is, um, Broken Windows, Locks of Love Part 3 is important because whilst there is a darkness of the song for like a nine-minute instrumental track, there's darkness there for sure. But like like the best fucking political activists or like the best anarchists, you got to know that the gloom is the foundation. What you build is hope. And with this track, there is this fucking hope to it. They're like the the grinding guitar crescendos um, mixed with these like these major key horn lines and the, like the, the when when the kind of the levee breaks and it does open through to like, this like kind of bombastic release that the band is building to it is a sense of hope and it's, it's a sense of beauty and it's like it's it's lovely and just this kind of like this like relaxing like ah oh, fuck yes fuck yes it is okay I think that's what Godspeed do so 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 much better than any other kind of um, post rock band is this ability to give you the release that you need it's not just the doom and gloom it's this these fucking in this case these 11 musicians the nine core band members and the two horn guest players working together somehow making it chaotic and bombastic when it needs to be but like there are moments in this where it all cuts back and it's just like kind of jazz drumming from one of the drummers and it's they show such extraordinary restraint that it's just this fucking insane goddamn piece of craftsmanship between these nearly a dozen musicians that it works to convey this message of hope is this collective idea that we can work together and create something beautiful, which obviously every band is doing that. But when you're like an anarchist collective, like Godspeed are, I think there is this kind of extra layer to that compositional companionship. And like, I know that this is an insanely pretentious pick, I don't care. I know that people are going to... Some people some people hearing this will be like, oh, I'll check it out. And they'll fucking have their mind blown perhaps as much as I did when I heard it the first time. Some people will hear it and think it goes on too long and it's not for them. That's fine, man. It's not for everyone. I, I, I'm like, And that's fine. And I'm not better than you and you're not better than me for that disagreement. But for me, this like record, this 90-minute goddamn odyssey is fucking Nirvana. Like, this is heaven to me, man. Like, this record is one of the... If I could listen to something before I died, it might be this fucking record. It's so, so fucking essential to who I am as a person. I forget... like There are times I'll be sitting there, I'll listen to this record, and I'm like, man, I should have got a Godspeed tattoo forgetting I got one fucking eight years ago. I just, <laughs> like, which, A, also ties into the in-joke that we have in the podcast that my memory sucks. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, just goes in the fact that, like, listening to them, listening to this song, this, oh, this segment, and listening to this track, and listening to this whole record, and listening to the band in general, is a thing that, I, like, I, I feel so deeply, I do want it under my skin, because that's where it's always going to fucking live.
0: Okay, so, like, you know when someone recommends you a podcast, and you see the amount of episodes there are, and it's like, in the hundreds or sometimes like over a thousand. And you're just like, I I can't see a way in because it's just so overwhelming. That's me with Godspeed, right? Their reputation precedes them. People have tattoos of this band. They're obsessed with them. They're like wholly innately dedicated to them. And I have just never had that. I've just never been able to kind of crack that code. And it sucks i really want to and i i I want to feel shit like andrew feels part of me just is just kind of like it's mostly because i'm i don't feel like i'm smart enough like i don't feel like i have the comprehension skills and the attention span to really sit down and like focus on that any of their projects are like kajunga you know they're all fucking huge like I refuse to listen to the last DJ Khaled record because it was 19 minutes long. Yeah, I'm going to put DJ Khaled and Godspeed on the same level. Please at me.
3: People do it a lot. I want to challenge you immediately though, Deej, Because like fundamentally, is it not the exact same process as you have listening to anything else? It unfolds a minute at a time. You don't listen to a 90 minute album in one go. You listen to a 90 minute album second by second in the same way as you listen to a three minute song the 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 action that you actually perform as an individual is exactly the same. And I don't think so long as you have ears, the your capability to to listen isn't diminished or in any way affected by your intelligence.
2: You were so close to be able to say you got two ears and a heart. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also think of that? Yeah. yeah. No, but the thing is, like, I I agree with you, Adam, entirely, obviously. Um But likewise like there's a reason I don't often watch Apocalypse Now Redux is because it goes for four fucking hours, man. Yeah, exactly. But likewise I will sit back and watch four hours of fucking BoJack Horseman. But there's a reason <laughs> that long albums are a barrier. It's just
0: so studious. This is very adult fucking music, you know, it's very complex and and thoughtful and like i i did enjoy listening to this like, i like the sound of it and like i love stuff like the mattel my first post-rock bands all that shit like fucking like mogwai and Sigur and explosions in the sky and sleep makes waves and whatever else you know like i i love all that sort of shit it's just when it gets like just to that that next plane, that next level, I just feel so challenged and and left out by it.
2: If I could make a rec for you, then not this record, but the um the EP they released between their first record F sharp A sharp Infinity and this record, they released an EP called Slow Riot for New Zero Canada. It mm. goes to twenty. It goes for twenty eight minutes, and I know a lot of gods. I know a lot of Godspeed yeah. fans cite it as their favourite Godspeed release. It's even so- got a funny bit.
1: It's got, really? a, it's got a fucking
2: hilarious bit. But yes, I uh, like Adam and Nathan and uh, David as well. You know, I've all ranted to you about this record off mic and in group chats for the last fucking decade. Um, but yes, this movement, this song, this album, this band is the world to me.
1: Yeah. I don't really have a lot to add. I'm, You know, I, I don't have a tattoo, but I'm very much the same. Like Godspeed are an incredibly important band to me. And I, I remember like the the point where I started listening to Godspeed and do make Say think in a couple of other bands like that as well and what a like violent shift that was from like the punk music that I kind of listened to exclusively for years like I always considered myself to be like a lyrically focused person and then this music that often has no lyrics but also you know like the whole style it's, it's so much more about about shape and texture than it is about like structure and riffs and anything like that. It broadened my understanding of music so much and just really cut to something deeper that I wasn't aware of. Like, yeah, this, this music is so important and seeing like the, the first time I saw them live, it like, it felt like the world was ending and kind of like you said about if they're a band, other, like other bands, really bands, but it's like the thing that they do, it just it just hits in a way that you're like, wow, why does anyone else bother? Um and I love lots of other bands. But yeah, this is truly wonderful.
3: The main thing I kinda get with Godspeed. Okay, so when I listen to music and specifically music that I really like, my reaction typically goes in one of two ways. So I either get like a flood of articulation and language and I'm like, I can't stop thinking about the various different ways that it's amazing and words kind of just keep flowing and flowing and, you know, I kind of run my mouth about it. But the other thing that can sometimes happen is I get completely stopped in my tracks and I can't actually articulate anything, um, that I have no idea kind of what I'm feeling or how I'm feeling it. I just feel the impact of it and it it just simply can't translate into words It's kind of like an overwhelming kind of sensation. And that's 100% what Godspeed kind of are to me. And I don't think one is necessarily more important or better than the other in terms of a reaction. It's just that what I get from Godspeed is pure and total in such a way that I can't break it down in order to explain it. They're kind of just a total musical experience, an indivisibly musical and purely musical experience. And if I was to pick a reason why I think why they're so revered, it's because they, are, they represent an absolute, absolute pinnacle of that. And it means that it's kind of, I'm kind of limited when it comes to talking about the music or my relationship to the music because it's just kind of like it's just there. I can't translate it. Well, they want a few bands that really uh, stands that way totally for me.
2: Spectacular fucking band. And before we move on, I will say one thing that's tight as all fucking hell. In 2013, the band won Canada's top music prize, the mm-hmm. Polaris Music Prize. Um, and when accepting it, they said uh, they criticized the cost of the event, saying maybe the next celebration should be ha- should happen in a cruddy hall without all the corporate banners and culture overlords. And then the money they received from that, they then founded... And then donated it to a charity who gives uh, musical instruments and music, songwriting lessons to people in prisons because they fucking do what they believe. Good people. Godspeed. Before we do go on, it's time to hear from our beautiful, lovely, charming, intelligent, and virile listeners. David, do you know one of these listeners? So Michael says,
0: shout out to the Hundo's Seniors and also to the extended hundos slash discord fam. 2000 is a solid year for music, but I do find this Hottest 100 to have some interesting inclusions. In that year, I was just old enough to have nostalgia for the likes of Teenage Dirtbag, Freestyler, and Original Prankster. Also for the various Powderfinger, Green Day, and Foo Fighters of this era as well. I know that loving Idiotech is definitely not a hot take, but it's easily my highlight from Kid A, so I find it difficult to understand how people voted in the wrong Radiohead song. Look fair. Mm. Also, only the Hottest 100 could have Klinger and Madonna back-to-back, which is just great. My chump of the countdown is the hippos wasting my life. It is lazy in the most unlistenable way possible. That's a good
2: chump. (laughs) That's a good chump.
0: I I, don't, I
1: didn't mind that song as much. I know, it's it seems really mean to pick it as the chump. I think that's what I'm here for.
0: <laughs> my champ is Frontier Psychiatrist. Although I did not know about the Avalanches when I was a youngster, Since I Left You has since become one of my all-time favourite albums, Sheer Perfection. It's a plus one from me, fam. If I had to go back and pick a song from 2000 that didn't make the list but should have, I would either go with the beautiful Falling from Grace by The Gentle Waves, which was the solo project for a former member of Bell and Sebastian, or any number of songs from the Deltron 3030 album, especially Time Keeps on Slipping, featuring Damon Albarn. Thank you for the season so far. It has been so much fun. Hope everyone is staying safe. And then he sent us a smiley face because
1: bitches love smiley faces. Bitches be smiling.
2: Bitches be smiling. And the last one of the fucking evening, Nathan, please undo the terror I brought by bringing a segment of a 20-minute fucking post-rock song. Surely you have some lovely piece of wholesome indie pop we can all enjoy right now. What was your vote-in vote?
1: Terrible, terrible news. I'm so sorry, everyone. (laughs) There are a few other things I was going to pick. You you mentioned Dirty 3, Sleater Kinney all hands on the bad one bunch of other stuff i wanted to try and pick Cheer. something that like an artist we hadn't talked about and i'm sorry but i picked luke vibert can kiss my indie punk white boy ass by kids 606
2: That was Kids 606 with Luke by Burke and Kiss My Indie Punk White Boy Arse. Nathan, talk us through your indie punk white boy arse. Mm, Well, that's true.
1: Um, (laughs) Kids 606 is a uh, Venezuelan-born American DJ who does a lot of sort of glitch and hardcore and is kind of firmly in the -the turn-of-the-century IDM scene. Alongside acts like um, FX Twin, who we talked about last uh, remix episode, um, also acts like Orteca, Matmus, uh, which I think me and Andrew have talked about at some point. But I think Kid 606, more than a lot of those acts, um, is is really defined by um, a few things. Uh, one of them is like he has a clear love for like industrial music and noise, um, and the other one is that he doesn't take it very seriously. Like He's obviously very good at what he's doing, but he really brings a sense of humour to IDM that I think is absent for a lot of the artists. This is from his second album, Down With The Scene. It was put out through uh, Ipecac Records, which was run by Mike Patton, a friend of the show.
2: Ipecac. Ipecac, good one. it's It's a medicine you take to make yourself throw up. Ah, oh. If you've been poisoned or what, or Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. As famously featured in uh, one of my personal favourite televisions and shows of all time, Family Guy. Uh, now, I don't know if you know this. I actually heard some really good news about Family Guy. Are,
2: are they banned? going away? Or... Are they going away? Uh, quite the contrary, actually.
1: Oh, no. That's terrible news.
0: Family Guy, it's, uh, it's coming back. Uh, now, you didn't hear it from me. No, you
2: heard it here first, though, listeners.
0: <laughs> yeah. You definitely heard it hear first, but you didn't hear it from me, okay?
1: So this album Down With The Scene is his second one, and it was a real, like, uh, kind of a a pretty big deal um, in IDM at the time. Um, Mike Patton actually sings on one of the tracks But I didn't pick that because it was too accessible Um, (laughs) Same with uh, GQ on the EQ If you want to listen to that, that's a much nicer song But I I picked this just because Basically because it's fun Like I think it's fun I think his attitude to sampling and genre Is so wild and eclectic And there's something really nice about IDM Which is such a like kind of insular genre that's very like headphonesy and and I'm gonna tickle some weird parts of your brain with these these things that never really line up to being like a danceable beat. And combining that with with just this real sense of play with sampling and even the title, like Luke Viber is is another IDM artist and um, just calling the song Lou Viber can kiss my indie punk white boy ass is very funny to me. And so I like it. Obviously heaps of other people won't and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for picking it on this podcast, um, especially when we've talked about such lovely songs so
2: far. Um, I'm glad that we've uh, now broken <laughs> the floodgates of picking inaccessible, <laughs> non Triple J friendly songs because every remix episode, listeners, we're going to make you suffer.
1: It's going to only get worse and worse from here. So <laughs> sorry. Deej is going to do his best by picking good pop songs and we're just going to ruin it. But I, I do really like this. Like, I, you know, I non ironically like this. I think it's playful and fun and clever and it really does. Tickle part of my brain that that like I don't get from any other thing.
2: I know you've wrecked them to me a bunch, Nathan, but I've never actually listened to any Kid CCO6. So like, listening to this was a relatively new experience for me. And like it just absolutely drove home that point in time of the late 90s, early 2000s, when Glitch musicians were really going wild, doing a mix of samples that had potentially randomized outcomes and also digital glitches of like changing the the, the ones and zeros in the file to make chaos in the fucking output kind of thing. And that is just so fucking fascinating and terrific to me here because it's so central to this song. Not saying that this wasn't meticulously crafted in the studio, but you can tell that it has that randomness element that is so intrinsic to glitch uh, electronica, and it is just a fucking blast and it's fun and it's silly. He's intentionally not letting you relax through silliness and oddities it's not a banger in the sense that, like, <laughs> no. it's an easy danceable, but it bangs. It's, it does bang. It, 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 it bangs like a drumstick on, a, on an empty metal bin, right? Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's chaos. Like, it's so chaotic. And also, oh, great. Have you heard when someone asked him about the title of the track? Uh, no. Vice asked him, what do you have against poor Luke Verbeer? <laughs> His response is simply, everyone except Kathleen Hannah has to die. <laughs>
3: Which is fucking terrific. And did you hear what Paul Verbeur said? No. Paul Verbeur loves the title of the song. He's like, yes. Um, he's like, I think that's really great. It's like he was encouraging me to sue him or something. Um, and I just great. really respect that. So everyone, <laughs> you got to pay. Everyone it. enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, and I, I really get like from this song and from the title like a really evocative sense of the scene. Like you said, stylistically, it's it's playing with all that stuff. But like, this is a weird time for music where like. You know, all of these music production things are, are suddenly more accessible, and people are really starting to just play with them and really push the boundaries of what can be palatable
3: music. I have a question yeah. though, Nathan. Yeah. About how you listen to this music, um, mm. and how anyone listens to Very this carefully. kind of music. Yeah, <laughs> this is kind of the thing, right? Because I can pay it as like witnessing a song like this and hearing it in the context of music at the time and getting an intellectual appreciation for what it's doing. But what I can't kind of connect to necessarily is the idea that you just kind of put it on and listen to it in much the same way as we normally engage with music. And I want to know whether that's because I'm not familiar with the genre of music enough that it has become just generally palatable in the same way as other music, or whether the kind of pleasure that, you get from it is that first kind of pleasure I described it's a more intellectual discovery pleasure that you then kind of revisit
1: yeah I think it's probably a bit more of that like yeah it's fun to me because to to just kind of listen and think about what he's doing also there's some really lovely not ambient tracks on this album but like it goes through a bunch of different rhythms and as an album, there are some really nice moments that are then punctuated by these kind of more frenetic and mashed together moments. So in terms of like being able to put the album on and listen to it, it's easier to do that than this song suggests. Okay.
3: Sure. That makes sense.
1: Part of it, I think, is it's just like a textural thing, kind of like what I was saying with about post-rock and Godspeed and bands like that before. Uh-huh. It's an interesting album. It's not yeah. a like dance album it's not a like i'm gonna put this on to relax or whatever
3: you do engage with it differently to the way that you would engage with other music then yeah absolutely i hear you on that playfulness thing and i was very interested to read that as much as it was inspired by other electronic stuff kid 606's main inspiration came from metal such as bands like napalm death and when i heard that the, the song took on a whole new dimension to me because I looked at the drops and the changes and the way that it stops and starts and the dynamics and even some of the rhythms themselves. Like I, I saw the parallel to metal and I saw mm. the same working ethos in the same like reaction that metal tries to get from the listener. I suddenly understood that that's what this song was trying to do as well and the way that metal's playful, this song was being playful in the same way.
1: Which is interesting considering how vocally not into metal I am
3: yeah right maybe you need to throw on some napalm deaf dude and just to loop it around even further kid 606 has a song called godspeed you african-american emperor he sure does seriously yeah. Yeah. that is yeah. fucking
2: oath deej you've been quite quiet with <laughs> i'm very interested to hear your thoughts
0: well andrew i've been quite quiet because i've had a fucking headache for the last
1: three fucking
0: hours <laughs> I, I, I can't possibly think what could have brought it on. Perhaps the sound of fucking hammers being drilled into my head for two and a half minutes. Like, I'm just going to put this out there. You can have all your fucking pretentious shit. I'm just going to go out of there and say, this is the
1: worst
0: fucking postal vote any cunt has ever brought in.
1: <laughs> the worst postal vote so far. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Fuck, this sucked. I hated every fucking second of this. It was annoying and it was loud and it was clattery and it fucking did absolutely zip and zilch for me. I
1: hated it.
2: Here for it, man. We haven't had a fucking yeah. disagreement on the postal for a while. like a yeah. Ever. That's good, man. I like it. I do
1: concede that, yeah, I definitely could have picked an easier song, <laughs> but I didn't want to pick a nice song.
2: <laughs> Great.
0: And why would you? You're not a nice
2: person. I know who actually is a nice person, but potentially I haven't done I haven't done a background check on them yet. But um, we got a fucking lovely as hell goddamn message from Sean saying this is very very wholesome and just terrific. Saying so the year two thousand for my birthday, I received a Discman for my 11th birthday that my, and my sister made me my first ever burnt CD with songs downloaded from Napster. Everything about that sentence is speaking to me deeply. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. This burnt CD was so important in shaping my musical tastes and it a whole lot of songs from the year 2000 plus a bunch of South Park Simpsons and novelty songs from random soundtracks. Again, speaks to me. You remember being in high school and downloading clips from Sf- South Park? Classic. Um, But in between all that crap is the first Eminem song I would have ever gotten into, The Real Slim Shady. Sure, Slim Shady does not hold up in any sense to this day, Sean says, with the beat being pretty repetitive and annoying, plus outdated references like Carson Daly and Fred Durst. Did you 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 want to take issue with Fred Durst being outdated, or...? How dare you? <laughs> However, Marshall Mathers III took the world by storm with his childish, you know, fucks-given attitude. This song was the most formative song for me growing up as an 11-year-old white kid in the back of a school bus with an anti-skip disc man, man, your sister <laughs> shelled out, oh <laughs> or trying to catch a glimpse of the hilarious for a 10-year-old heavily edited music video on Rage. Man, I did censor the music videos back then. I forgot about that shit. Um, the real Slim Shady could have easily is- slotted in somewhere between the corns and the biscuits of the 2000s countdown. I agree with you there. It would be sensible to see this track in there. Eminem eventually gets in the countdown in 03 with much better cuts from the Eminem show and eight, and 8 Mile soundtrack. But the real simshady would have easily voted back then in the year 2000 as a 10-year-old. And Sean then goes on to say, but if he was to vote now, he would vote for Queens of the Stone Age, Lost Art of Keeping a Secret. Terrific stuff. We all want to thank you so much for sending what you sent in. Hang on with us on the discord. If not on it yet, as a link in the fucking episode description. Um, and as a foreshadowing of next week, we have a great message in here from Ed Burton. Uh, you'll have to take out your pens and papers or your notepads and keyboards. And remember these numbers to argue with Ed. If you disagree or applaud him if you would if you agree. Ed, you may know him from previously saying that um the Girls Like That is an incel anthem. He says for this top ten, it would be infinitely improved if you swap six to ten with one to five. Also saying the current one to five paint a picture of a milk toast youth afraid to take a chance and about something with a fucking pulse. Head to head, number six is better than number one. Number seven, as shitty as it is is still twice the song that number two is you could make an argument that three is the equal of eight but I wouldn't because it isn't (laughs) four number fucking four what a fucking meme number one could end after one bar and still beat the shit out of four number ten everything number five is not i.e. a good song (laughs) This top five is to blame for the popularity of the risk-averse people like Jack Johnson a year later, and I want it held responsible. <sighs> At least 98, still the worst year, manages to keep you two out of the top 10. Whoa. Ed, thank you, sir. Hopefully, listeners, you will keep these notes in mind when we discuss the top 10 when it comes in just a little while. Phenomenally was- good work. <laughs> we will be back very, very soon with the, conc- the thrilling conclusion to the... Triple J Host 100 From the year 2000 But until then My name is As always Andrew McDonald And on behalf of My dear friends And beloved comrades Nathan Harrison Bay, Adam Buncher See And the man himself David James Young Number 8 My name is again Andrew McDonald Everything In particular Noises that make that Give DJ a headache Is good for you
4: Hottest hundos, bundos, mcfundos It's your old mate Decker And I'm back again with my personal top 5 songs For the countdown for the year 2000 Alright, let's get into it, not fucking about Number 5 Anthem for the Year 2000 by Silverchair Look, first things first I know it got in the countdown last year But how many songs from 1999 Returned in 2000, right? And isn't it shit that the actual Anthem for the Year 2000 Wasn't included? Shit, right? Yeah, shit Shit, yeah. Look, whatever, let's get on with it Number four Anthem for the Year 2000 by Silverchair. The song so grouse I'm including it twice. This is my favourite song to play on drums, eh? Like, it gets a little tricky in the verses and the choruses, but I'm so fucking good at the rest. Number three. Anthem for the Year 2000 by Silverchair. Cause like, seriously, do we not stand Aussie music? Do we not stand the chair? Do we not stand their hometown, which also happens to be my hometown? The glorious city of Newcastle? And did you guys hear that fucking shitty Hamilton musical thing? I want to sue them for false advertisement. Because I thought it was going to be about the actual Hamilton you know, the great suburb of Newcastle, talking about all the great stuff there like Hamilton Station, Hamilton Station Hotel, Guzmani Gomez, but no, it's fucking about some bastard from New York from over a decade ago, and they have the arrogance to call New York the greatest city in the world? Listen up, mates, the greatest city in the world isn't New York, it's Newcastle. So Lin-Manuel, why don't you just fuck off to Miranda? Alright, number two. Giant Steps by Pat Metheny. And look, I know what you're thinking. It's a cover song, but hear me out. I think Pat did a really good version of the standard that absolutely does Coltrane justice, you know? It's such a nice contrast to the original bebop version to play it more of a bossa nova groove, which my mates, Larry Grenadier on bass and Bill Stewart on drums, those guys are just so deep in the pocket the cunts could steal your wallet right off the chain. And Pat Metheny, mate, what a shredder! Navigating Coltrane's signature cycle of thirds changes like he's just cruising down the Pacific Motorway. <sighs> It's a bloody jazz masterclass. And number one, anthem for the year to fucking thousand by Silverchair. That's how fucking good this song is and how pissed I am at that Triple J audience from 20 years ago for not including it in this countdown. Like, look, I understand leaving out Pat Metheny, you know, jazz isn't everyone's cup of woodstock, but it is criminal that this iconic Aussie jam got snubbed in the year that it was most revelant. All right, cunnies, I love your guts, unblock me on Discord and I'll catch you next season.